Welcome to the LeanZone.com podcast, where we discuss construction contracts, liens, and bonds. And now, our host, Alex Barthet. All right, so let's talk about submittals and shop drawing. So there are at least four factors that you have to keep in mind when dealing with the shop drawing and submittal process. So submittals must be prepared and transmitted timely so as not to delay the work on the job. You have an obligation to review uh, and make sure that all the submittals are correct before you submit them. It's very important that you make sure that the submittal is correct before you submit it because the rejection of a submittal is used by in, in a construction dispute as an indication of issues on the job. Uh, so one of the things that construction lawyers do is they say um, clearly, so a sub as an example or even a contractor can say, you know, this job was a disaster from the beginning. Look at all the RFIs or look at all the submittals that I had to submit. The, the response to that is, yes, you submitted all of these submittals and look, everyone was rejected, right? So if, you're submit, if you are presenting submittals or shop drawings, you want to make sure that they are not likely to be rejected so that that rejection doesn't count against you if there's a dispute. Um, and again, if you, if, you are, if you ensure the correctness of the submittal, then you can reduce the number of rejections. Um, so here's a uh, shop drawing uh, provision that favors the contractor. Any submission that a contract, in, that in the contractor's opinion is incomplete, contains errors, or has not been fully and properly checked may be returned unreviewed by the contractor for revision and, and uh, resubmission. So I'm sure you guys deal with architects, right? So you submit an RFI to an architect or a submittal, and they, and they just kind of reject it without really much information, you know, incomplete, and they send it back. They don't tell you what's incomplete. They don't tell you what's wrong. Um, so contractors can do the same thing, and there are provisions in their contract that give them that right so that they don't have to waste time fixing a subcontractor's uh, submittals and shop drawings. Uh, so we have a, a, a case now where one of the issues is that the plans, our argument is the plans were no good. And what we've done is we've tracked all of the RFIs. And we've tracked when they were submitted, when they were re uh, reviewed, and what, the, and what the disposition was. And we tracked the amount of time that it took for the design team to respond. Um, and what that did on the job. And this, this one is, we have hundreds of RFIs, hundreds. So it's only when you get into that, uh, to that really dozens, you know, hundreds, that it, you can look at that data and, and you can tell a story because of those rejections. Understand that when you submit a, 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 a when you present a submittal, you should not believe as a subcontractor that, the, that it acts as a double check on the work. Um, and there are provisions that say that. In essence, uh, here's one. In reviewing shop drawings, architect and engineer need not verify dimensions and field conditions. Architect and engineer will review the shop drawing and samples only for conformance with the design concept of the work and for general detailing 
architects and contractors review shall not be construed as a complete check nor shall it be nor shall it relieve subcontractor from its responsibility for any deficiency that may exist or from any departure or deviation from the requirements of this subcontract and the contract documents. So uh, understand, just because you get an acceptance of a shop drawing, and by the way, they don't accept or approve shop drawings as much as they don't reject them, right? They, they say, you know, they stamp it, no exceptions, right? Because they, they've been brought into enough lawsuits to know that they don't want to say accept, they just want to have some wiggle room to say that they, that they, uh, that it conforms with the, the contract documents. This episode is brought to you by the Miami Construction Forum. This invitation-only group of construction professionals of all sizes and trades meets monthly for an informal lunch and learn session on current topics of interest, from getting paid and safety to bonding and insurance. To see the upcoming topics and request your invitation, visit MiamiConstructionForum.com. Okay, so let's talk about liens. We're going to go briefly over the the lien law, and then we'll talk about some provisions that exist in your contract as a sub that are actually pretty dangerous for subcontractors, making sure that you keep the project free and clear of liens. Um, so here's a provision. To the extent not expressly prohibited by law, subcontractors shall not permit any lien or other encumbrance to be filed or to remain of record as a claim against the building or the project site for any work performed or materials furnished by or by to or on behalf of subcontractor or any of its subcontractors and suppliers. Subcontractors shall defend, indemnify, save, and hold harmless contractor, contractor sureties, and owner from any lien or claim of lien filed or maintained by any labor, material, and subcontractor or other person or entity directly or indirectly acting for or through the subcontractor. So what does this say? This says, it doesn't say that you've been paid and you didn't pay your bills. This says, if anyone, rightly or wrongly, files a lien or makes a claim on the contractor's bond, that's your problem and you have to deal with it. Um, that's, uh, that, that's dangerous because you may not have been paid. That, that means that you have to now ensure that the job is getting fully funded and financed by you uh, to keep the property and the contractor surety bond free of any claims. So as a subcontractor, how do you deal with that? Here's a provision that says, as a condition precedent to subcontractors requirement to indemnify and hold harmless the contractor and owner as to any such claim or lien, shall be payment by contractor to subcontractor relative to such claim and lien. So if you got paid and you didn't pay your bill, shame on you. Uh, but if you haven't been paid, you shouldn't have to absorb that responsibility. So having a provision like this in your subcontract limits your liability. Now as a contractor, you don't like this, right? You want to say, look, if you have issues with your subs, and suppliers, you got to pay them. They shouldn't file liens on the project, and they shouldn't make claims against my payment bond. Um, that being said, in my experience, many contractors will accept a provision that looks like that. 
because they understand that you can only pay your bills if they've paid you. Um, at the same time, most contractors are going to put a provision like this in their contract with the owner uh, to the extent they can to make sure that they, uh, that they get paid before they have to satisfy any liens. So let's talk about the, the lien law generally, just so you understand what the requirements are. As a contractor in direct privity with a private owner, you don't need to send what's called a notice to owner, but you should. Um, as a sub or supplier or sub-sub, you need to send a notice to owner. That notice to owner should be sent right when you get the job, meaning when you sign the contract. And it cannot be received by the owner or the contractor any later than 45 days from your first work on the job. So if it gets to them after 45 days, then your notice to owner is late. So that's the step one. So you may not be owed any money. You may not have even stepped on the job. You should send this notice to owner. The next step is to record your claim of lien. That needs to be done within 90 days, no later than 90 days from your last work on the job. Last work excludes punch list work and it excludes warranty work. So it's got to be contract or change order work. 90 days uh, is the outside limit. Uh, there's no liens on public jobs, but if you are a subcontractor or a supplier, you need to serve a notice of non-payment, which is like a lien, on the bonded contractor and their surety no later than that same 90 days from your last work on the job. So two dates to remember, no later than 45 days from your first work, no later than 90 days from your last work. There's lots of exceptions to these rules. Um, there are instances, as an example, where you may not even, where you may have a claim on a bond and you don't need to send a notice to owner or a notice of non-payment. I could get into all of those rules and tell you, well, in this situation you don't need it, in this situation you do. What I have found is that it's just easier to tell you a rule that applies to nearly every situation, and if you apply that rule, you can't go wrong. But, uh, and that's again, no later than 45 days from your first work is the notice to owner. No later than 90 days from last work is your claim of lien or no, notice of non-payment. The last date, give me one sec. The last date is you have to file your lawsuit on the lien or the notice of non-payment no later than one year after that. Thanks for listening to the LeanZone.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast app. For articles, videos, and forms on this and other construction topics, head over to the LeanZone.com.